With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to the Run to Daylight Football Funcast with your host, Todd Burroughs. Welcome to the latest Run to Daylight foot Fantasy Football podcast um, with special guest Matt F. The Oracle. Matt will be on in a second. Uh, before that, I'm going to just announce that this will be the first of two podcasts that I do today. The second one will be with my normal co-host, the Motown Mauler, who we had some exciting news today, was ranked in the new Roto Grinders rankings as the third highest middleweight. So that was exciting news. If you want to hear me and the Mauler discuss that, uh, we also will be doing kind of our gimmick, which is we will make a lineup right on the air. We've cashed four out of the five weeks that we have done this, and we've got a tidy profit. So we're going to do it for the NBA for the first time. So we'll see how that goes. But now I'd like to introduce Matt F. The Oracle. Matt, if for any of you who don't know, is one of the, I like to call him the, the busiest uh, or the hardest working host in fantasy sports. He does the Rotoviz podcasts. And he has recently moved over to Fantasy Labs, which is very exciting. Matt, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. How's it going, Todd? Good, good. Thanks for doing the show. Very much appreciate it. Uh, we, we had a pretty exciting week in the NFL last weekend. Uh, that game with the Green Bay and Arizona Cardinals, I heard you call it on one of your podcasts an instant classic, and indeed it was. I was wondering, coming out of that game, what were your impressions about the Cardinals, and how do you think they match up with the Carolina Panthers this week? Yeah, the Cardinals, so I had Evan Silva on the show, and I just have to say, doing two podcasts in a day, that's a real Matt F. The Oracle move, so really, you're moving up in, in the weights that you're bench pressing, but uh, I have to say, Evan Silva on the show, uh, I thought he had a really good uh, kind of analysis of the Cardinals and the way that they match up with the Panthers, but just looking at the Cardinals, what you've seen in the last couple of games is not really a team that has resembled the juggernaut 
of of the first 15 games of the season. Uh, in week 16, and then in this sorry week 17 actually, and then in this last game, they really kind of struggled to get stuff going. And Bruce Arians in particular said that his offensive line is really having trouble blocking. So uh, that Carolina Panthers defense is pretty good. If they can keep uh, the Cardinals from having the, I guess, the rushing force that they have had previously with David Johnson, the rushing success, then I think that will be a very tight game. But I think it's going to be a, a good matchup. But the Cardinals are struggling more than I think people realize, given that they did score 26 points in that game. I think you make a very fair point. And one of the things that I haven't heard mentioned that I think might be affecting somewhat what's going on, I think you hit on the key point, the blocking for the running game was non-existent last week. But when you look at that, they did that uh, look at Palmer's finger and how the finger has been damaged. What, if any, of the slowdown do you attribute on that? I don't know. I mean, I think Palmer still looks pretty decent when he's throwing the ball. Uh, I think really the big, and that might be a factor with with stuff like fingers and, you know, like toes, it's always so hard to know whether that is something significant or not. But uh, yeah, that definitely could be a part of it. I don't think the passing game has really looked that bad. I just think that it's the passing game in the context of the running game, not being able to set up the passing as well as it usually, as it usually does. Yep. And Let's get your take on the Carolina Panthers. They looked like a juggernaut for sure in the first half. Do you attribute the closeness to how that game ended up more to being the fact that they took their foot off the gas, or do you just think that the Seattle got off to a slow start and was able to do more in the second half? Yeah, I think it's a combination of both of those things. Also, it doesn't uh, it doesn't help, certainly, that – Uh, Greg Olson got injured. Jonathan Stewart got injured. So, you know, I think it was a a combination of knowing that they in all likelihood had the game in hand, uh, losing those players, deciding just to kind of slow down the pace of the game a little bit. And then also Seattle, I mean, you know, they are a, a champion, you know, so they are always going to give it their best. Uh, I, I think, I mean, you wouldn't have expected that they were going to lose by only seven points, but that game really kind of reminded me of the, the 49ers and Cowboys game way back in the day. I think it was 94, it was 94. Yeah, yeah, 94. Yeah, 94, and it's funny because I was just about to reference that. Yeah, exactly, ahead, where, where the Cowboys were down 21-0 to zero very quickly in that game, and they were able to come back and, and, and lose you know, by only 10 points. You know, but that is the type of game that it felt like. You knew, on the one hand, that the Panthers had that game locked up. On the other hand, you absolutely knew that the Seahawks were not going to go down without a fight. Yeah, I, 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 like I said, I was going to reference that game, and I was going to ask if you were old enough to remember it, because I, 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 I guess you were. But um, those are the two games I call Heart of Champions games where mm-hmm. the teams aren't as good as they were when they won it all, but they still mm-hmm. had the heart and the memory of what it took to win. And it was a champion kind of going out on their shield. Yeah, it was absolutely. Exactly. And I was old enough, or I guess I am old enough to remember that game. And at the time that was the most depressing football game I had ever seen. And it still might be the most depressing football game I've ever watched. 
You know, like that game hit me harder, you know, at however old I was, 11 years old. That hit me harder than any other game since then. Interesting. I forgot that you were a Cowboy fan. Yeah, I, I forget that sometimes too. Well, this year especially. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, that the, the year this year started bad, got worse, and really uh, it makes me want to have to ask you the question I would ask myself or I am asking myself with the Giants as it relates to them keeping Jerry Reese. What are your thoughts about them giving Jason Garrett another year based on the fact that it's a tough year? Yeah, I'm, I guess I'm fine with them giving Jason Garrett another year in, in sort of the sense that like, like you've kept him this long. Why choose now is the time to fire him? You know what I mean? Like there, like there are reasonable excuses for why this year was so horrible. They lost Tony Romo. Uh, Des Bryant was out. They never really fully addressed the running back situation the way that they probably should have early in the season. So I don't really blame Jason Garrett. I always blame Jerry Jones for putting Jason Garrett in that position. And, and I don't disagree with you, and I think that was an excellent way of putting it. So we'll move over to the AFC, and we've got the battle. Everyone's going to want to talk about the possible last Brady versus Peyton Manning game. But the guy that I want your opinion on to ask a little bit different of a question is, Julian Edelman came back in the last game, and all of a sudden the Patriots' offense took back off and was very good. Do you think that maybe, perhaps, just for this year, Julian Edelman is the most valuable Patriot? And how do you see them matching up against the very tough Broncos defense? Well, I, I mean, I think Edelman is valuable only to the extent that you know that Tom Brady is already there. But I, I agree with the sentiment of that. I think Edelman and Gronkowski are the two keys to the game for the Patriots, especially because they really don't have a running game. I think if Edelman and Gronkowski are able to exploit the matchups that they have, and again, that Broncos defense, it is good, but right now it is actually weak in the slot position because Chris Harris is injured. So if Gronkowski and Edelman can exploit the matchups that they have in the middle of the field, I think the Patriots will do very well. If they can't, if, 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 and I think it's a very big if, but if the uh, the Broncos can game plan in such a way to eliminate or to neutralize those two players, it will be a very tight game. And in that instance, I would maybe go with the home team, but I do think Edelman in the end will end up having a good game. And, and I do agree with that sentiment. And to be fair, the Broncos and their great defense really didn't play all that great last week. They didn't put a lot of pressure on Ben Roethlisberger, so it'll be interesting to see if they can put pressure on him this week. Now, from all the things that we've seen, do you think that there's any way that we're going to get a chance to see the Peyton Manning of old, the one who had direct TV, or do you think that we're going to see pick six Peyton Manning who has cable? Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be good. As I said, uh, you know, it's not actually going to be very cold in Denver, just moderately cold. But, you know, Peyton Manning hasn't played well in good weather for about the last year and a half. Uh, I think it's just going to be more of what we've seen. Now, there really might be times in the game where if he needs to make only one throw or only a couple of throws, 
maybe he can do it. But if you have to sort of uh, use this sort of leverage of having him make throw upon throw upon throw, then that's not going to be successful. Yeah, and it does seem to me in looking at that game last week that his arm did look a little stronger than it had before he went out the last couple weeks with the injury. Mm -hmm. But it did seem to me that he wasn't the old Peyton just in the way he would look at his reads. He seemed to focus in on one target and that lightning quick reactions and moving from player to player. I think we're also dealing with a player who doesn't have as much confidence as he once did. And I, I agree with your sentiments that it looks like another Patriot day, whether we like it or not. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you just said there. So what we'll do now is you have made a very – well, before I do that, I, I wanted to get your opinion on who is the luckiest NFL player in the whole league. I mean, the guy that you would consider being if you could. Any guess as to who I might be mentioning and referencing? Uh, no, I have no idea who you're talking about. Well, I'm going to say that check, – check, what do they call him? Clipboard Jesus – Charlie Whitehurst might be the luckiest guy in the league. Did you see that recently it was announced that he was dating the singer Jewel? (laughs) Which is perfect. That that makes so much sense. He looks like the type of guy that she would date. It, It absolutely does. I mean, no one looks better holding a clipboard on the sideline. I mean, to be called clipboard Jesus, it, 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 it's his only notoriety. And the interesting thing to me is I was going to, I didn't have the time, but I was going to look up just how much money this guy has made as a backup quarterback who's almost never been hit. And now he's dating someone who is quite attractive and very well known. So my vote for the luckiest guy in the NFL is Charlie Whitehurst. And as far as the singer Jewel goes, I mean, first she dated and married a guy who was known for bull riding and had a movie eight seconds. And now she's dating a guy named check down Charlie. So I don't know that necessarily her, she's had the best luck with men, but we'll move on to the really big news that came out recently. And that was that you Matt were moving from Rotoviz to fantasy labs. Congratulations on the move. And please tell us how it came about and what your responsibilities are going to be at Fantasy Labs. Well, thank you. And uh, just, just to clarify, I'm still uh, doing some writing and podcasting at Rotoviz, so it's not really totally moving from one place to the another, but just kind of uh, starting to transition some of my duties. But uh, Fantasy Labs, it's a fantastic place. You know, it's, it's been around for less than a year, but it's made tremendous strides in that time with the analytical tools and the articles that it provides. And so kind of how this came about, uh, I I was one of the first writers at Rotoviz, and uh, Jonathan Bales, who was already kind of established in fantasy at that time, he contributed a few early pieces. And so we've, you know, kind of like known of each other and and had some, you know, some interaction throughout the years. Uh, And then Peter Jennings, one of the other co-founders of the site, he was on the Rotoviz podcast shortly before the NFL season started. And so I've kind of had like an awareness of these guys and some interaction with them. And um, one of their editors reached out to me 
you know, about the middle of the season, about the potential of writing some pieces for them. And just kind of offhand, he said, you know, and we're also kind of looking to hire some people full time. I don't know if you'd be interested in that. And I hadn't ever really totally thought about doing fantasy full time until that statement. And so I, I kind of thought about it and just started having some conversations with Jonathan Bales. And that's how it started. That's very interesting. I know when you were on my other radio program with Len Barnhart at the beginning of the season, you had mentioned that you had worked with a mining company. So have you now given that up? So I am still, so the, the day job, that is still something that I'm working with as a consultant kind of on an as need basis. Oh, that's pretty good. Uh, congratulations on both things. And there's nothing better in life than wanting to be wanted. And I think, you know, it's well-deserved. You and I would say Dan Back are my two favorite listens uh, for the way that you go about podcasting, your voice is on the air. So I'm very excited to hear and see what you're going to be doing with Fantasy Labs. Also, there was another minor announcement with Fantasy Labs recently that Mark Cuban, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, and just your general investor has invested in Fantasy Labs. Could you tell us a little bit about that and how you think it may or may not affect Fantasy Labs going forward? Well, it's a fantastic development. And it was funny because it, those conversations with Mark were happening the same time that uh, they were talking with me uh, about coming on board. And so Jonathan had said, you know, like, we don't really need to take on an investor, but there is one guy we are taking on, and it's only just because of who it is. And so I was trying to actually on my own just to figure out who it was. And when the news broke that it was Mark Cuban, and it was the news broke literally, I think, uh, maybe the day before before we finalize my contract. Uh, I was just like, of course, it's Mark Cuban. But the, the great part about having Mark Cuban on board, one, is that he doesn't invest in something unless he believes in it 100%. And uh, so there's money there that is going to go toward development, uh, creating new analytical tools, bringing on new people uh, to, you know, to write, to produce content, uh, you know, but also Mark Cuban, he has connections. And so, you know, there might be the possibility that we can leverage some of those, um, you know, and he's got some great ideas, you know, so it's something that's really exciting. I think he's going to be someone who contributes in a lot of different ways. And uh, I think at this point, I really, I enjoy what the company has been, you know, just before I, I arrived and I think there is so much potential for the future. It's uh, really exciting. You know, I've been with the company literally for like two days, but uh, I, I really can see how things are going to be moving forward in the future. Yeah, well, just to start, you know, I got to meet Jonathan Bales at the DFS conference in New York. He was tremendously friendly and fairly buff, to be to be perfectly honest. And Oh, yeah, he's both he's up, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I, I've been lifting to try and get back in shape, and I'm like, not nah, not ready for bells. But I also have always been a big fan of Peter Jennings. I think, I don't know if you remember when we talked, but this was my first year really trying to get back into fantasy sports after taking a few years off. And so I was kind of a newbie as far as listening to everyone. And, you know, you hear these famous people, and I – I decided to listen to a lot of different people and a lot of different podcasts. 
And I got to say, when I listened to him on that podcast with Al Smizzle and Adam Levitan, when he says he either likes or doesn't like someone, it does pay, uh, take a little extra weight for me. He does seem to have mm-hmm. really good instincts, doesn't he? Yeah, he's I mean, he's a living legend, you know, so he's anytime he says something, I pay attention to it. I agree. Couldn't agree more. Um, I also was kidding around with Bales that he was too expensive for me. Fantasy Labs, for those who don't know, is $59 a month. And that's not a tremendous amount more than the other sites. But my issue was as a beginner, I was playing small stakes. I mean, like in the NBA right now, 20 to $25 a night. But recently, there was something that they just announced that I think is going to finally tip me over into being a member, and that is they announced that you can use exposure in their lineup-making tools. Are you familiar with that right now, and can you elaborate on it, or would you like me to kind of go over what I know about it? Yeah, so what I can say is that there are a series of uh, new tools that will be released soon. And all I can say is very soon. They're not they're, like, they're sort of keeping that very close to the vest. I think there's a, a core group of people who know when those tools will be released, but in terms of exposure, yeah, go ahead and, uh, and talk about that. Well, one of the things that I used immediately when I started doing a lot of MFL tens was the Rotoviz app. And the key thing that I focused on was my exposure levels. So when it came to weekly daily fantasy, I started making a bunch of lineups and then having to manually by hand kind of count up how many got times I have people in lineups and it was I having enough overlap or too much overlap. And what the analytical tool that Bell's announced on Twitter recently was is you'll be able to put in how much exposure you want for each player and then optimize that tool so to, to as close as possible mimic those exposures. And I think that really is a big step in the right direction as you try and methodically build lineups for a slate. And the other thing that I thought was really good that they're doing is they're adding the ability to then take those lineups and immediately put them on DraftKings, which I thought was, uh, you know, again, something that would be of a lot of interest to me because I could then right before, you know, 10, 15 minutes before lock on an NBA slate, kind of take the most up-to-date news, add my exposures, click it over to DraftKings, and then enter it into contests before lock. Uh, So I thought Mm -hmm. that was a fabulous new addition, and I look forward to the ones that you're alluding to because you do seem to have some very smart people there. Yeah, again, I think it's a great place to be, and considering that Fantasy Labs hasn't really even been around for a full year, uh, we are entering, I think, maybe month eight, month nine. Uh, I think you can really see that we're going to make a big effort to ramp up what we do even more. Yep, and I think hiring you as part of that process was a very smart move. So, again, congratulations. I'm looking forward to seeing some of your writing. Uh, Didn't you just send in your first article? What was that on? 
Yeah, so it was on uh, Larry Fitzgerald and the fact that there are people who are looking at him this weekend and, and kind of in the context of what he did last weekend and what he's done in the playoffs over his career, in which he's been, uh, I, I grant, a total monster in the playoffs. And they're just kind of thinking, well, you know, he's great in these high leverage situations. I just need to play him. When I, it's not that you shouldn't play Fitz, it's that you can't really use what he's done in eight previous games, six of which were, you know, like seven or eight years ago with Kurt Warner, uh, and then one of which was last season with a quarterback who's not Carson Palmer. You can't really look at those as any sort of uh, index or any sort of like predictive factor for what Fitz might do in this game. Yeah, I agree with that. I had Larry Fitz in the lineup with the Mauler that cashed pretty well last week on DraftKings. And we were going back and forth between him and Martavis Bryant. Now, And as truth be told, I wish we had used both of them and left Emmanuel Sanders out. Then we really would have cashed. But right. if you look at that game and the way that that game played out, if it wasn't for the almost ridiculous back-to-back Hail Marys that Jeff Janis caught, Larry Fitzgerald mm-hmm. would have had a decent but not great game. So I right. see your point there. And I'm hoping for this week, I'm not going to play a lot on a two-game slate, but I'm looking at Mike, uh, Michael Floyd and or John Brown from the Cardinals simply because I think with the exposure I expect for Fitz, it's not going to be worth the expected result. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think that's a good strategy. I think there really might be this situation, especially uh, playing GPPs, where lots of people could be on fit, again, because of what he did last week and then this narrative of him being a very strong player in the playoffs. And if you can fade him and then play, as you mentioned, someone like John Brown or Michael Floyd, and they go off, I think you will be in a very ideal situation playing guys who, I, I mean, again, a, a two-game slate, it's really hard to say that anyone will be relatively low-owned, but I think those guys will have a lower ownership percentage in comparison to Fitz. I agree. Yeah, I got these really great low-ownership guys. They're only 45% owned. Exactly. So, uh, you know, that's going to be interesting. Um well, we're almost near the end of the season. There's only four teams left. Why don't I get from you your Super Bowl winning selection? Who do you think is going to be the champion of the NFL this season? I think the Super Bowl is going to be Patriots uh, against the Cardinals. And uh, I can't believe Cardinals. I'm saying yeah, I kind of can't believe I'm saying that, but I, I do think that the Cardinals will be able to pull it out, um, and I'm going to go Cardinals. <laughs> that's my I I, that's my sort of super contrarian pick, but I'm going to well, go with the Cardinals. I, I hope you're right, because I like Bruce Arians. I've always been a fan of the Kangol hat back to the 80s when I lived in Brooklyn for a while, and um, it, it would be nice to see a team that never won win. And anybody but the Patriots and Brady would leave me very, very happy. Well, once the NFL season is over, Matt, it's time to kind of turn our attention to what the teams are going to be doing, who they're going to be looking to be free agents, and who, you know, who's going to get cut. But after that, 
pretty soon after, I know you spend a lot of time on college football, and I thought maybe we could finish the show up with five to ten minutes of talking about the upcoming NFL draft, some of the key people and positions that you think the talent is greatest at in the upcoming NFL draft. Yeah, sure. Let's do that. All right. So, so let's, yes, uh, I guess we can it? start sort of, sorry, I guess we can start no, sort of with the, the quarter, the quarterback position. Uh, Cause really there's, there's not much to say there. Uh, so we can sort of say it and get it over with and then get on to the players we want to talk about. There are three main quarter quarterbacks that people are kind of focusing on. Jared Goff from Cal, Paxton Lynch from Memphis, and then Carson Wentz from North Dakota State. Uh, Goff is a, a true junior. He doesn't have super great size, but it's good enough. But he hasn't really played well in big games. He hasn't won a lot of games. He hasn't really progressed a lot in his college career, and that's kind of problematic. Lynch, uh, he's got the size. He's 6'7", 245. He has progressed in his college career. He has done well, uh, kind of uh, improving each year. The thing is, he plays in the, a group of five conference, so he's not in the Power Five. There are going to be questions about the competition level he has faced, and then also about the offense in which he's played. It's more of a, a wide-open offense, so there would be questions about can he transition to the NFL. And then Carson Wentz from North Dakota State, a redshirt senior. The issue with him is that he's coming from the FCS level. And generally, I mean, it, it's not a golden rule because you have someone like um, like Joe ben Flacco. Right. But someone like, like Joe Flacco coming from Delaware in the FCS. Um, but it's, So it's not a golden rule. But in general, if an FCS quarterback is getting hyped up that much, that really shows that there's kind of like a lack of depth at your uh, at the quarterback position in your class. So Carson Wentz, he had a good career at North Dakota State, which was a powerhouse. They've actually won the FCS championship five years in a row. He's been the starter for three of those years. He has NFL size at 6'6", 235. But again, there are even bigger questions about competition level coming from the FCS. I mean, the fact that he is an FCS quarterback and people are saying he might be the four, the first quarterback taken in the class. Like that's just kind of a symbol of how bad this quarterback class actually is. Yeah. One name that you didn't mention who was supposed to be the goat and turned out to be the woat was Christian Haxkenberg of Penn state. I don't know much about the college game, but I do know, know that he kind of sucked this year, didn't he? Yeah, I mean it was it was an improvement upon last year, but almost anything had to be an improvement. Um but as a as a freshman he looked fantastic and he really hasn't built he hasn't built the resume that you would want to see out of someone declaring for the draft. So there might be people who are high on Hackenberg, like he looks like an NFL quarterback if you look at him and maybe if you just see him throwing a ball. Um, if you're not really paying attention to where the ball lands. But he he hasn't put up the statistics you would want to see. He hasn't had the wins. There, there's just a lot that isn't to like about him. Well, the, to me, the most important quality of an NFL quarterback is his completion percentage. And I'm always nervous about guys who can't complete 65% or better of their passes in college. Because if you mm -hmm. can't do it in college, I don't know how you can expect to throw 60% or better in the NFL. Are any of these three not-so-great quarterbacks good at completing a high percentage of passes? 
You know, Paxton Lynch is a guy who, in that offense, it, it was really catered to his skills. And so he was pretty good at completing passes. Uh, I mean, Paxton Lynch, really one of the most productive quarterbacks in the FBS this year. But it did come in th- in that context of a very wide open offense. And so even though he had, uh, let's see, 28 touchdowns, he had uh, a close to 3,800 yards, uh, almost a 67% completion percentage. Uh, I mean, he was a good quarterback. Uh, in an offense that did have to play uh, some some tight games against some good defenses, um, again, there are just going to be the questions about whether that can transition to the NFL, whether he can sort of progress through reads. I gotcha. Well, it seems like since they went to the spread offenses in the N- in the NCAA, that a lot of these guys have more questions than ever. Since it isn't the position of focus for you this year. I was wondering if you could detail for me what positions do you think are loaded and who are some of the guys that a newbie like myself should be investigating? So I think the running back and the wide receiver positions are pretty strong this year. Uh, Tight end, you can basically just ignore that that position. It's pretty weak this year, just as it was last year. But the two big running backs in this class are Ezekiel Elliott and Derrick Henry. And both of those guys literally are big. Ezekiel Elliott, 6 feet, 225. Derrick Henry, uh, I think it's around 6'3 and 240, 245. Uh, Elliott is a guy who is, he's pretty much your complete back a very accomplished runner and then a very good receiver. And then, you know, the thing that kind of is like the, the knock that all rookie running backs have, like, Oh, they're not good, you know, as pass protectors, Ezekiel Elliott is actually a very good pass protector as well. So he really could come into the league and make a big impact in his first year. Derrick Henry, again, a big guy. He is not a good receiver. I just let me rephrase that. He hasn't exhibited a lot of receiving ability, and there's the question as to whether that's just Alabama not using him as a receiver or whether he's actually not very good at catching the ball. But he is a total workhorse. He led the FBS in uh, total touches from scrimmage, uh, in yards from scrimmage, uh, a lot of touchdowns. I mean, he is really the the total package if you are not really focused on a guy as a receiver, but huge. And he entered college as the number one athlete in the country, not just sort of like number one recruit, but he was ranked as the number one athlete. So he's probably more than just a big body who can run. He's probably actually a very fast guy. So I think both of those guys could make an instant impact. And then at the wide receiver position, the big guy that Before everyone is talking about. Before you go to about, wide receiver, do you mind sure. if I ask a quick follow-up question on the two running backs? Um, yeah, go for Elliot, it. I was very, very impressed with when I saw his run last year in the two, the semifinal and in the championship mm-hmm. game. He really stepped up and played great. Henry, I didn't get to see much this year, but how much do you think he will be affected by how bad some big Heisman Trophy running backs have been from Alabama? And for both of them, the trend in general has for running backs to be taken later. What's your best guess as to where each one of them might go in the draft? Mm-hmm. So Henry, uh, I don't think he's going to be hurt all that much by, 
by Alabama running backs, you know, whether they have or haven't done well in the NFL, because he is sort of like his own beast. Like even all of those big bodied Alabama guys, Henry is the biggest of them and he might be the most athletic of them. And he was given a second round grade by the, uh, the draft advisory board, which I think is basically right in that range where he will be taken the same with Elliot. I think he will be taken in the second round, maybe the very end of the first round, maybe, but I think both of those guys, they deserve to be the top two running backs off of the board and kind of regardless of whether they're taken in the thirties or the forties, I think both of them will have the opportunity to produce their rookie year. Awesome. Let's uh, let's get your thoughts on the wide receivers then. So the big guy everyone is talking about is Laquan Treadwell from Mississippi, uh, a you know a big bodied guy. I think around six one, six two, over two hundred and ten pounds. Uh, apparently, someone who is very athletic. He flashed as a freshman, was injured as a sophomore, so it, it was kind of a, a damaged campaign. And then his junior year. Uh, He really, I wouldn't say he struggled at the beginning of the season, but I think there was just sort of like there were lingering effects from the injury from the previous season, but really kind of from the fourth or fifth game of the season on, he just took over the team. Uh, He was amazingly productive. And then in the bowl game in particular, he really flashed. And then he's entering the NFL, uh, you know, foregoing his senior season. He could be a top 10 uh, player in the NFL draft probably the first wide receiver off the board. And then another guy that is intriguing is Corey Coleman, um, who didn't get to play in Baylor's bowl game because of an injury. Uh, He's a redshirt junior entering the NFL early, but he had the best eight-game sequence of any college wide receiver going back at least to 2000 and probably before then. And I kind of cut it off at eight games in part because after that he was catching uh, passes from Baylor's third uh, third string uh, quarterback and then their fourth string quarterback who was a wide receiver and kind of like an emergency quarterback at the position. So it's kind of hard to, to look at that situation and to read too much into what Coleman was or wasn't able to do. But as it was, Coleman was one of the most productive wide receivers in the country, even just like in an eight-game sample. He's supposed to be very athletic. He's a little undersized, around 190 pounds. But if he actually is an athlete, the way that Baylor says he's an athlete and the way that he he tested when he was in high school, he could end up being a first-round pick. And I think maybe sort of like maybe even better than what people were hoping Brandon Cooks would be when he entered the league. Very interesting. And I would love another time maybe when we get closer to the draft to get your thoughts on this pod But for now, we'll finish with one last question, which is, who do you think are going to be the top three to four or even the top one to three players taken in the draft, regardless of position? And which is your favorite? (laughs) That's that's hard. Well, uh, it's really I think it's it's too soon to start doing that, and I kind of hate to say that's a wimpy way out of it because uh, we really it's haven't not, seen anything from the, the right combine answer, yet. Yeah, if that's but, the right answer, that's the right answer. But I, I guess what I will say is I, Joey Bosa, a defensive player on Ohio State, kind of plays that, that edge position. He's a really intriguing player to me. 
really consistently for the last two seasons of college football. He's been one of the best players. I think he is uh, a, a near lock to be a top three player as long as he doesn't really disappoint at the combine. So he's a guy that I'm really intrigued by. And then I could I could see, unfortunately, a, a quarterback getting elevated higher than he should and maybe being taken in the top three. Well, you know, I did get to see Bosa play last year a couple times, and my only question on him was his size. But we'll see. There's a lot to go as it relates to the NFL draft. You're absolutely right. I definitely appreciate you coming on, Matt, and hope to have you on another time. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Have a good one. All right. You too. Well, that'll do it for this Run to Daylight podcast. I thank everyone for listening in. And we're going to take off. Uh, maybe Philadelphia was mentioned. Let's. Uh, why don't we leave with a little bit of this? was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.